Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. And today I am so excited. We are doing part two with Dr. Roseanne Kapana Hodge. And I'm super, super excited to have her on because her new book, which is called It's Gonna Be Okay, has just come out and it is amazing. I got a sneak peek and it is everything that I would want to have in a children's book about mental health. Well, I mean, it's a it's not a children's book. It's a book for parents about their children's mental health. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've shared about Dr. Roseanne before, and she is just a mental health trailblazer. She's founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. She is changing the way that we view and treat children's mental health, according to Forbes magazine that called her a thought leader in children's mental health. I could go on and on, but I had her on the show before and I really just want to get to the good stuff because there's a lot of good stuff that we're going to talk about. So Dr. Roseanne, thank you again for being on. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad we're continuing our conversation because, you know, I think people are realizing as we talked about before, mental health is so important. And if you don't have mental health, it really doesn't matter what else you have in your life. If you're not happy and you're struggling with feelings of stress and worry and sadness, you know, it doesn't matter where you live or what kind of car you drive. You know, you've got to have good mental health. It's so important. Yeah, that's where it all starts. Absolutely. And so I would love, you know, even we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but the first part of your book, you do talk about the difference in what you do and what traditionally has been done with mental health in children. And so I would love to kind of dig into what that difference is and why your approach is so unique. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm traditionally trained as everybody is, you know, when they become a mental health provider and, you know, I went to school, I got my doctorate And, you know, what happened to me is I was raised holistic by Italian immigrants. So being holistic was just part of who I was. um, And food was always medicine, right? So when I say holistic, it was that, you know, we used food when you didn't feel good, right? You know, you don't feel good. My mom would make like a special healing soup. You know, we weren't running off to the doctors all the time and whatnot. And so we did a lot of that. So that was just part of who I was. I didn't know that it was holistic. It was just part of my Italian culture, really the Italian immigrant culture. And so when I started working with kids in the early 90s, um, kids were struggling and a lot less than they are now. And I believe in, I don't think there are limits to what you can do in terms of improving your physical and mental health. And so when I would work with a kid and, you know, you do talk therapy or play therapy and you couldn't get far enough, what was my training? My training was, well, you got to send them to a psychiatrist because, you know, that's there. And today we don't even go to the therapist first. They say, here's a pill and maybe do some therapy. Okay. So 
I said, there has to be another way. There has to be something different. Kids are struggling. Um, they have physical issues like eczema and stomach aches. They have a lot of mental health issues and a really low stress tolerance. And so it didn't take me long to kind of do some research down in the belly of the basement of the library and look at some microfiche. And, you know, I learned about, you know, the power of nutrition, the power of supplements and homeopathy what's this thing called biofeedback and neurofeedback? And also I really started to explore different types of psychotherapy. There's way more than talk therapy in the world. Everyone has this image of somebody laying on the couch and talking about how they don't like their mother. And, um, <laughs> you know, and there's so much more. And so what I realized was that one, there is a lot of source, different sources of mental health problems. So, you know, it's trained that, a lot of genetics and biochemical imbalances are the sources of medical mental health problems. That wasn't what I was seeing in the world. What I was seeing is that kids were distressed and they may or may not have had a genetic history, but I've seen autism, you know, showing up in a family for the first time and bipolar showing up for the family in the first time and, you know, all these other things. And I was seeing kids with physical issues, right? So sensory processing problems, problems with, you know, auditory sensitivity and touch sensitivity, food restricting. I was seeing kids eating, like I've worked with kids that literally eat five foods. Okay. I don't care who, what those five foods are. You can't eat five foods. It's not healthy. And so I started to connect the dots and say, what is going on? What can we do? How can we improve kids' mental health? They were very dysregulated, low stress tolerance, and more and more families in a state of chaos because when a kid's behavior, when a kid is struggling, whether they're what I call internalizing or they're externalizing. So they're internalizing, they're worried kids, they're sad, they, they withdraw. And then our externalizers are angry kids. They might be breaking things. They might be yelling. It doesn't matter where you are somewhere in the middle. When your kid is suffering, parents are worrying at night. They don't know where to do, what to do, who to trust. And so I went and pulled the research together and started working with people in this very individual way. And that's what this book is all about. It's my 30 years worth of work um, with a whole lot of research. You got to see there's like over 40 pages of research citations. And it's really about teaching people of those foundational components, which change and improve, reduce and reverse mental health symptoms. Um, and, and that's really what brought me really, honestly, was those kids who I'm just like, oh no, we are going to make this better. Right. I don't know limits. I was raised with no limits. I was raised that there was infinite possibilities. You know, my parents weren't the kind of people, if I said, I want to be, you know, the first female president, they were like, okay, well, how are you going to do that? <laughs> um, it wasn't until I went to college that people were like, you can't do that. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> You know, and it's the same. I took the same approach. I was like, how could you have a kid in total distress and you're doing these interventions and there's not helping there? Let's go to science. Let's look at what it is. And that's that's what I did. I did all the scientific work for people and poured it into this book and broke it down in this digestible 
way into these pillars for people to understand how to help their kids because we need it. When your kid's suffering, nothing else matters. I love that and I can't wait to get into that a little bit more. But first, I want to give a special thank you to our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. Now, did you know that sleepers who routinely use their Sleep Number 360 smart bed features and Sleep IQ technology get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year? I gotta say, I am starting to notice what a difference that quality sleep from my sleep number bed makes in my life. My sleep number is 40, my husband's sleep number is 35, and the reason that I share that with you is because our sleep number bed is that amazing that we can adjust our sleep number to what we prefer in our bed. We are not stuck with the same kind of mattress firmness. We can adjust it to what feels best for us. And just like with your health and your nutrition, and I always say to individualize it for you and be your own health advocate, same thing here for your sleep. I love that I can individualize my sleep number and I get to track my sleep score and see how it changes. I thought this was really interesting. I recently read that some of the worst average sleep IQ scores were the night of the 4th of July. And typically my sleep IQ score is in the 80s. On the 4th of July, my sleep IQ score was 74, which is a lot lower than my usual. I think that's because I was staying up a little bit later. I was with my friends. I I was eating a lot of food that I don't normally eat. I was drinking alcohol. Those things can impact your sleep in a negative way. So it's so important to maintain a consistent sleep schedule, a consistent sleep routine, and sleep number makes it easy to get quality sleep and to track that quality sleep. I have discovered that for both me and my husband, we are sleeping deeper. We aren't waking up as much. He isn't as restless as he used to be. I think that both of our bodies feel more supported than we have before. So I am a big fan of our sleep number bed. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Special offers for a limited time only at sleep number stores or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Okay, Dr. Roseanne, let's get back to your book. I love that you have real stories as part of this book because so many people, you know, they like to read parenting books and books about how to help their kids. It's filled with tons of information, but I know a lot of them are wondering, well, how does this really help my kid? And in your book, you give examples of kids whose symptoms have been reduced. Yeah, I mean, I have had my life touched by thousands of families over the years. And in, in fact, today, Aaron, somebody called the center today um, just to let us know that, ha- that her, their child had come here a few years ago and was with a diagnosis of ADHD and wanted to let us know that they no longer had a diagnosis of ADHD and were no longer displaying symptoms. Um, after completing neurofeedback and making dietary changes and, and really working on stress management. And how amazing is that? And first of all, always go out of your way to share good news and, and tell people something nice. I mean, that's incredible. And, and this was somebody who came at a real pain point because we think of having ADD, right? Difficulty focusing or whatever, however it shows up for you as sort of a common thing. Oh, everybody's got ADD. It's hard. <laughs> it means you got to work real hard to pay attention, to organize, to complete tasks, 
you know, these are things that interfere with um, family life, academics, and relationships, um, and makes employment real hard, Aaron, too, in the future. So we want our kids to be successful, and it starts now. And even though I work with adults, I definitely spend my time with kids because they're, they don't know that they can't get better. They don't know that they can't improve. It's the parent that, as you said, until they read these stories, they're like, well, why haven't I heard about this? Why don't I know about this? Well, I mean, ultimately it's about that people don't get the training, right? So I went out of my way to get the training. I went out of the way to read hundreds of books, right? Um, and then later get my own special needs kids because I did such a good job with everybody else's kids. I got gifted with two. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but I started out doing this because I was, it was not acceptable to me that people couldn't get markedly better and have a great quality of life. And, you know, every kid in the world should feel confident. And the moment you lose your confidence, oh boy trouble is going to happen. It doesn't matter if you're a straight A student. If you're not confident, you're going to develop self-esteem issues. Anxiety is going to come up. I mean, you're going to have stuff. It's all about knowing who you are and feeling good about it. It doesn't mean being perfect, but when that mental health component is not there, it's so hard, not just on that kid, but everybody in their, in their sphere, you know? Do you think that, and as we're talking about this, that kids getting labeled because we're thinking about the confidence piece. Is that just the labels on the kids? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Where do you stand on that? Cause I, you know, I, I could go yeah. both ways. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, I've had this conversation, Aaron, so many times because for 22 years I did psychoed neuropsych testing. And I would either when I worked in a school or I did private testing. And please don't contact me because no, I don't do testing anymore. Um, <laughs> I got sick of yelling at people in special ed IEP meetings. Um, and here, here's what I think. Your kid knows they are struggling in a certain area. There's no hiding it, right? So you can make a label bad and, make, and, and do that, or you can talk about it. And here's a great example. My little guy, John Carlo, you, if you ever listen to me and talk about him all the time, he is dyslexic. And we, he knows he's dyslexic. We talk about it. He is truly one of the most special children on this planet. There is not a year that goes by in his little, his little sciencey school that somebody does not write is delightful. I wish I had a student like this every year. I mean, he is just, he's a, such a pleasant kid. He's a good friend and he struggled to read. And we, I had a feeling he was going to become dyslexic. Uh, we, we, at first I was like, what's going on? Dyslexic is hereditary dyslexia. And um, basically what I realized is the Hodges, all intellectually gifted, hands-on engineering kind of guys, all are terrible spellers. They're the dyslexics. Okay. They bring a lot of good stuff. They don't gain weight. They're super tall and they're very funny and clearly smart. So <laughs> they have a lot of gifts. So I knew pretty early because of who I am that he was going to be dyslexic. And I was like, this kid's got to go to like a totally different kind of school because he had off the charts, hands-on abilities. 
And he was so regulated, so happy. So when it came to, I started with developmentally appropriate language. We talk about tough things, whether it's things happening in the world or things happening in your family, parents getting divorced or death of a dog, you start out with developmentally appropriate language. So I started out with, well, it's harder for you to read. And you know what, John Carl, your brain, the way that it hears the sounds are not right. So when you go to match them to the letters, your brain doesn't hear. So I started with that. Then I started saying, you know, dyslexia and this, that, and the other thing. And then I would joke, right? So I'm totally math disabled. Like it's, it's pretty bad, right? And I did great in statistics because it's verbally based. And I, you know, you have to get straight A's when you're in, you're in a doctoral program. And um, anything less than a B, you have to repeat. And I was like, I will not get a B. So, <laughs> and this is coming from the girl who graduated with maybe a C from high school total GPA. Just letting everybody know. It's what you could do in the 80s. You could turn your homework in. That's how I did that, to turn my homework in. And I was bored. I'm just saying. So, um, so I let him know. And so what I would say is, you know, mommy can't do math, but she's awesome at what? And he would say, you're awesome at reading and writing. And I was like, who wrote four books in the pandemic? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, but you do do algebra. And I was like, don't talk about algebra. So we really normalize it. And I was like, here's your gifts. Okay. So whenever he gets a little down on himself, he understands he's dyslexic. And sometimes he's frustrated, but why should we shy away from things that are hard? You cannot be good at everything. We have to tell our kids. So but what I say to him is, hey, you got it. You got to do reading and writing. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to marry a chick with money? No, you're going to go to school. You're going to do this. And you want to be an engineer. You got to do that. So we bring light to it, but it's really important. I believe very much in talking to kids about it, but helping them to understand their gifts because when we only focus on those negatives. That's all they're going to hear. It's often the parents are more hung up on it. The kids are relieved. All those 22 years I did evals, I never had a kid who wasn't like, thank the Lord. I thought I was stupid. Almost every time that's what some kid would say to me. So let's stop getting kids to think they're stupid. Let's just say, hey, we all learn things, you know, and I would always share with the kids, hey, I got a total disability in math and I can't parallel park and I can't catch a ball, you know, and let them know, like, look what I was able to accomplish. And there are so many other amazing people in the world who have different types of things from Orlando. I know all the dyslexics, Orlando Bloom, the Fonz. Tom Cruise, you know, um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones in there too. And so I think it's really important to show them what that doesn't, that's, you know, that's just a workaround, <laughs> you know, that's not a holdback. It's a workaround, buddy. And we have to stop cocooning our kids so that they never experience anything bad. And I'm going to tell you these kids that had challenges when they own it, and they advocate for themselves, what they become in their lives because they get this confidence is unbelievable. I can't, I could go on and on and on with some of these amazing things that these kids I've known all the years have turned into adults and what they're doing in their lives because that knowledge was so helpful for them. I like that. I think that's a really good approach. And I think, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to one of my kids who is 
just more of my um, empath, anxious, you know, and I gave him a hug and I said, I just, you are so good at feeling feelings. <laughs> you feel feelings and you express them so well. And I just love that about you, you know, just trying to be, oh, yeah. because he's still very young. Yeah. And, but I want him to understand that it is a gift. Yeah. To, and in many ways, anxiety is because you're feeling big feelings and you're trying to find a way to express them. Right. So it's, it's yeah. a gift in that sense. So just reframing it, I think can be really helpful. Reframing it. And I clearly, I love to, you know, bring humor into it. Like my little guy was getting tutored today and I said, Hey, what do you think? You just relying on your good looks. And he cracks up whenever I say that to him, you know, and, and that his dad is like, well, I did that, you know, and we just have a really good time. You got to make weight. It's validating. I'm like, yeah, I know it's hard. Okay. You know, but this is what we're doing. Okay. So he, he will let me know that, you know, I don't think it's fair, you know, every once in a while that I have to have my tutor, you know, and I'm like, this is just the way it is. You should be grateful. And we, we talk about it and I'm like, look at where you came and where your progress is. And, you know, it's definitely how you frame things with kids. If you're like, well, if I don't do this, you know, you're never going to amount to anything and you're never going to be a straight A student. How terrible, then that's what you're telling your kid. Right. And that's what they're going to believe. So, you know, we have to be careful. Our kids are listening and watching what we do. We don't have to be perfect by absolutely not. And we should talk about our imperfections, right? Yeah. You know, so um, I, my kid, he drew a picture of me the last time we had it you know, pre-COVID vacation of me at the beach with a cell phone in my hand. And I was like, oh, and he was like, yeah, you always got your cell phone in your hand. And I was like, that kind of stunk, you know? And I was like, all right. And he's like, yeah, I don't like it. And I was like, all right, when we're together, I'll put it away. You know, so I'm not perfect, <laughs> you know, and it's just important to have these conversations with our kids. Such every, every moment with them is really a learning opportunity for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I want to get into your book a little bit and it's called, it's going to be okay. And yeah, I think one of the things I definitely want to make sure parents hear is that, um, sometimes we can be skeptical <laughs> of other kinds of healing therapies yeah. that are unfamiliar. Sure. And so what would you say to a parent who's like, yeah, well, I'm going to the doctor, going to the psychiatrist, we're going to do the med thing. You yeah. know, what, what would you say to that? Well, I hear it all the time, Erin. <laughs> um, you know, here's what I want to say. So more than 70% of prescription medications used with kids are what's called off-label. And that means there's no research to substantiate their efficacy for whatever issue that is. We need to be deeply concerned. So what I want to do is flip this dialogue. I want them to understand they just don't know about these proven methodologies. That's what I want them to do, which is why I dive into it, which is why I have all this research. And I want them to understand there is a lot of research to, to substantiate. These are science-backed interventions, which is shocking to people. The other part of this that I want them to know is people will say to me, well, how do you know this? And another therapist or MD doesn't know this. It's because I went and got trained. It's because I've read hundreds of books. It's because every day I set my uh, Google alert to the research in the top areas that I'm working in. So every day I get a research bulletin on everything that's going on. Who reads it? This girl comes in at 5 a.m. 
I have really devoted my time. I listen to podcasts. I do things that are really gathering information. And so I have done my due diligence, not just in psychology, but in in functional medicine. I've had to learn a lot about medical conditions. Um, I am a member of the international of ILADS, well, International Lyme Disease Association. And I'm a rare psychologist who was admitted in. It was like, I think it might be easier to get into Fort Knox than it is there because I've done so much work and training in that area. So it requires a devotion. And, and here's what I want to say to people. We are in a, a crisis of mental health that we have never seen. It is so openly talked about right now during this pandemic. I'm grateful for that, right? Uh, it is hard to get a psychotherapy appointment. Uh, you know, people, the rate of, of psychiatric medication usage is through the roof. Um, kids, the rate of suicide is up. The rate of depression is up. The rate of anxiety is up. We need to flip that dialogue and we need to create, I call these the eight pillars of hope and healing because we're not talking about what can be done proactively and under conditions when people are distressed. And, you know, you mentioned these stories. I mean, I have lots of stories where people are pretty extreme and I want people to know that even in extreme mental health distress, there are many things that can be done. I remember one time I was working with an adult and he had a panic attack ready to be taken out in an ambulance, right? Which happens every day in America from his job. And they were giving him Ativan in the hospital, Ativan in the hospital. And I was treating one of his kids and they couldn't get this guy better. So he signed himself out and he was like, will you see me? And I was like, come on down. So I have technology and I ran him on technology that would help his nervous system regulate. Well, after four hours in the ER room, they couldn't get him to medically regulate. And I was able to get him to regulate in one hour. Okay. So he had to come in every day for like 10 days and we were able to get him. So he was regulated all the time and we did a lot of things, but he had been suffering in such an extreme way. This was not the first time that he had to go to the ER. This was like the fifth time in like three or four months that he had to go to ER because of a nonstop panic attack. So how is that possible? Well, there's technology, there's things, there's techniques, there's methods that have science behind them. And so that's what I did, but it's really for parents, they need to know there is, we're not hearing about this. Like, why isn't every parent hearing about magnesium, right? Or vitamin D. And so just because you haven't heard about it doesn't mean it's not valid. And, you know, for example, pediatricians, American Academy of Pediatrics rates neurofeedback and psychostimulants, the same level positive intervention, level one. Why isn't every pediatrician, it's their certifying board, it's their compilation of research since 2012, nine years. Why isn't every pediatrician telling the parent that? Wow. I'm not sure, but they have that information at their disposal. You know, so it's kind of frightening that we're not disseminating this information. Meanwhile, we do have a lot of children on a lot of meds that are causing a lot of side effects. And that's a, that's a big concern of mine because they're at the beginning of their lives. It's one thing to put a 40 some year old 
on a med that causes some side effects and then yeah. you take the side effect med, whatever you played the game, it's fine. But to start that so young right. into a brain that's not developed yet, I've got lots of questions about that, you know, and, and yeah. well, and think about it, Aaron, 70% of the time we're using meds off label, right? So we don't even have any evidence behind it. I think the thing parents need to ask themselves is why do they believe a physician who's recommending something with no research versus looking at evidence-based approaches with lots of research behind them. Why are you believing that? Why is that higher? And I, and I talk about this, you know, the medical pyramid and on top is a physician. You need to kick him or her off and you need to put you on top. Yeah. Right. And you, you read my book. A lot of this is about is empowering you and you being a CEO of your own healthcare and when you understand what you can do, this is, this is truly helping you to understand what you can do to change the trajectory of your child's life, right? And hopefully your families, because most of my families, once they see what happens to the kid, they're like, oh, I'm going to start doing meditation, you know, <laughs> or, you know, some area that's going to bring some health to regulate that nervous system. So important, you know? Yeah. And, and I love that you even use that example of, of, an adult regulating their nervous system in this way. Cause I think that that's really powerful. And we just don't think about these tools. It's not the first thing we think about. No. And so with your pillars of all these evidence-based strategies, can you share like maybe a few of the pillars or highlight yeah. maybe I yeah. know you start with stress, which stress always a big one. Right. You know, and I think stress is, we need to talk about this. I think people including myself, sometimes think we can outwit the impact of stress on our brain and body. Okay. So you can't just go uh, on, you can't live in a high stress world. You can't, you, you got a boss who's kind of a jerk and you got to go in every day. That's going to erode your nervous system. It's going to put you in a hyper stress activated state. You have a kid who's dyslexic and you're not giving him re proper reading instruction, and he's in a class where the kids are moving so much faster than him, his nervous system's gonna get very stress activated, right? Um, this is what happens. And then we, we get into this, what's called the sympathetic dominant state. So what's the way to counter that, right? Well, you know, in these situations, you know, your kid's got to get the right reading intervention that's part of it. You either have to find a way to deal with your boss move to a different department or get a new job, right? So there's those kind of interventions, but the way to protect yourself is by regulating that nervous system. And that's why it's my first pillar. I think what's surprising to people is they don't understand it requires attention every day. And I talk about 10 minutes or more a day. Um, and these are things that are free most, right? So breath work, meditation, yoga, journaling, prayer, Whatever, whatever it is, um, non-cardio exercise, even though I think, you know, exercise is super, super important and really should be its own chapter. I, I literally am like, it's important. It's automatic. It's there, but it really, it might mean neurofeedback or biofeedback. There's something that has to happen and you have to regulate yourself. I do multiple things for myself every day, which I know you do too, Aaron. Right. And, um, it couldn't be more important. And when we do that, we are, are, we're able to be not so dysregulated because when dysregulation shows up, 
your kids can have listening problems. They can have learning problems. They can have behavioral problems, social, emotional. And so we keep trying to chase down something that you think is maybe a biochemical problem when it's really a stress activated nervous system. How is a pill going to fix that? <laughs> right? So let's regulate the nervous system. And then, you know, I already talk about a lot about coming in with new learning. So whether that's parent intervention, I talk a lot about that. I have a whole pillar on parenting, um, whether that's parent intervention, school intervention, or you need to see a therapist or a tutor or something to teach new skills. That is really important, right? But stress is a fact of our life and we shouldn't pretend that it's not going to hurt us because it does hurt us. It doesn't. And it has to start there. It has to start with the brain. It has to start with the nervous system. And, and I think I even, what is, I think that's the first thing that developed in utero, right? Is the nervous system. Like mm -hmm. that's probably the most important, how we view the world <laughs> and interact with it is probably the most important thing about us. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And if we're activated, right. Um, then everything lands funny. Right. And so if you're, you know, you got a kid that's a little bit of a, you know, more of an ornery sensitive kid, you know, their nervous systems are activated. And, and you know, I talk a lot about QEG brain map. So I'm able to see that people's brains, what's happening over the structures and then the connectivity, what's happening from site to site. And what happens in these stress activated people, you literally see that their brain is, I call it jacked up, like just a lot of inner chatter, a lot of agitation. And so you're coming in agitated. Somebody says the littlest thing to you, or your socks are bothering you, or um, your sister's annoying, you know, you're going to react in a way that is, doesn't fit the situation. You're going to overreact, right? Maybe you'll underreact. Maybe you don't even respond, you know, so that dysregulation, then we start saying there's a, there's a, there are clinical issues, but what's the source? And stress is always a factor. You cannot have a clinical issue and not have stress be an impact. So we can't, it's, and some people have clinical depression or, or, um, ADHD like symptoms or anxiety from chronic prolonged stress. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it can't be not talked about. So I'm so glad that you're drawing attention to this. It's like it's everything that I love about these discussions. So good. So I want to talk, you did something, or I saw something in the book that I thought was really cool. And I definitely want listeners to be able to check it out. Um, but it's in the book. So you got to get the book to see it, but <laughs> it has a, you have a picture of a brain and yeah. different food that's beneficial for yeah. different parts of the brain. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we don't, we don't, everyone always gets so hung up in changing their diet, right? Like it's like a terrible thing, right? But, you know, when you eat really good quality food, uh, everything changes, your palate changes and your brain changes. And so certain foods power up certain parts of the brain, right? So we know that people with depression, anxiety, that if you have a low fat diet, your chances of having clinical anxiety or depression increases, I believe it's 1608%. So fat is really important in multiple ways for the brain, right? So it helps actually support the neurotransmitter communication, right? So anxiety and depression, yeah, there is neurotransmitter component. Guess what? Medication is the only way to fix that. There's supplements 
there's food and these can have dramatic effects and exercise, dramatic effects. The other thing it does is that fat helps to um, support the gut and our gut is connected to our brain and um, through something called the vagus nerve. And there, there is a um, what's called a bi-directional influence. So having things like avocado, nuts, <laughs> you know, coconut products, these are foods that really help with focus, but really anxiety and depression. And it's super, super important. And it's one of the first things I recommend with anybody who's struggling with mood or anxiety. Um, And it can be really powerful. I mean, you know, everyone always thinks the pill works really fast. That's not what I see. I see people doing a lot of medication trials with side effects and they have to decide just like what you said, Aaron, is this, does the benefit outweigh outweigh the side effects? Because uh, I mean, tr- like for example, safe ADD medication, you can't see me if you're listening, but I'm putting air quotes, um, you know, which is given out like candy, a hundred percent of people through research have a side effect. So it's a matter of which one are you going to do? My kid is getting better grades, but they're like, you know, uh, a nightmare from 7 PM to 10 PM when the meds wear off or whatever it is. Or personality changes. So, you know, it's, it's really, your food really can have a dramatic effect and you can eat very purposely depending on what you need. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that. I love you mentioned fat, all of the above. Um, what about sleep? What do you say for a parent whose child is struggling with sleep? Because I hear that a lot. Yeah. And, I, and again, I'm sure it has to do with, right. This dysregulated nervous system. Yeah. Um, but what can we do to support sleep in kids? Yeah. Well, you know, I dive into all the sleep stuff. So sleep is one of the most common sleep problems are one of the most common issues that I see with any mental health related condition from ADD to anxiety or depression. You're it's, if you have ADD, uh, I mean, anxiety, depression, or OCD, you're going to have a sleep problem, right? Have trouble getting to sleep. You might have problems waking up in the morning and you might have be getting up in the middle of the night. And so when we're not getting sleep, There's so many things that break down in the body, but the number one thing is, is that 90% of brain detoxification occurs while you're sleeping. And if we're not detoxifying, here's a fun fact. I write a lot of like, you hope you're having an aha moment, but if you're not detoxifying, if if toxins aren't excreting out, they're going to filter back into the brain. They're going to go into other organs. Um, And toxins, you know, can create inflammation. They can cause cell division, which is cancer. Um, so, you know, over cell growth. Um, so there's a lot of negative things that can happen and sleep has to be prioritized. Uh, I think people are seeing that kids are benefit. I mean, one of the one benefits of, you know, hybrid learning is kids got to sleep in. Um, and a lot of teens were like, Oh, I loved it. It was so great. Um, but sleep has to be a priority and the better quality of sleep we have, um, with the appropriate amount of time, not sleeping too little and not oversleeping, the better our mental health is. I got a great night of sleep last night, Erin, cause I did a sauna and I mean, you feel like a million bucks when you sleep great. 
Yeah, for sure. I, that is, yeah, I just, um, I've been tracking my heart rate variability while I'm sleeping <laughs> to see how my nervous system yeah. adapts to, think, yeah. you know, and that, that's kind of a fun tool too, just for, especially for, as a woman, you know, we have yeah. different cycles or different phases during our cycle in the month. And just to see how I'm handling stress throughout is interesting. But I think for our kids, you know, we've talked about this before. We don't, they don't tell us what they don't understand, you know? And so if there's sleep issues, if there's anxiety, a lot of times it comes up in other ways. And is there like a, you know, bedtime routine that you recommend for parents, like for kids who are just struggling to get to sleep, stay asleep, you know, any of that? Well, first of all, you said it right there, routine. You, you got to have a regular routine. Uh, you got to have a general bedtime. You should always, adults included, should always try to go to sleep within 30-minute window, right? Which is surprising to people. It doesn't mean you don't go out. I mean, hello, we're going to have the roaring 20s after this pandemic, okay? Um, which who knows when it's going to end. But you, you doesn't mean you don't go out and stay out late, but you really want to stick to a regular bedtime and then have a routine. What is your routine? I like to take a bath or my son likes to take a shower at night. Both my boys love to take a shower. That's their signaling. They're getting ready. Um, my one kid likes to read before he goes to bed. My other kid likes to listen to music before he goes to bed. And that's just part of the routine. One kid takes magnesium. The other kid falls asleep super, super fast. Um, and he, he doesn't want to take magnesium. So they each have their routine. It's not the same for both. You know, I have one kid who's both my boys got to eat right before they go to bed. They're both really skinny (laughs) and they just need, they need like protein before they go to bed. They just do. And that's okay. It doesn't, and they both sleep deep. Um, I can't eat before I go to bed that I don't have that in my routine. So it's knowing what your body is and helping your kids to, you know, Oh, I noticed, um, that, uh, my younger one, if he had, uh, a sweet like ice cream, which we don't have too often, he would often throw up before he went in the middle of the night. So I was like, "Hmm, he's an easy kid. So I'm like, huh, it's like the fifth time you throw up when you had ice cream before you went to bed. He's like, okay. So no ice cream after 7 PM. Smart idea, Giancarlo. And then like, Two weeks later, he was like, can I have ice cream? And I was like, you haven't thrown up. He's like, all right, I'll have it tomorrow at lunch. Great idea. You know, so it's knowing yourself, empowering your kids to make their own decisions. If he insisted on having it, I would have let him, honestly. And I, and he's that kind of kid. His brother, I would have told him no, but he's that kind of kid that he understands himself. And I would have said, see, that's the last time you throw up. We now know that's hundred percent what it is. He's obviously not digesting it. Doesn't bother him at any other time. It's almond milk or coconut milk, ice cream people. Um, and so I think, you know, creating a routine that's individualized and sticking to it and prioritizing that routine. So your body knows at that subconscious level, I've got to get ready for bed. Yeah, for sure. I, I I mean, those are all things that are helpful for me as well. And there are times I need to have a little something like protein or fat 
a little bit before I go to bed or I'm going to wake up at 2, 3 a.m. <laughs> and blood sugar going crazy. So yes, but we have to know. We don't you have to and know. Our kids have to, we have to empower our kids yeah. to be CEOs of their bodies, right? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> that's important yeah. I mean, I can't eat like when my, when I go to, um, before the pandemic, every 90 days, I would get together with my friends in the, in it, uh, we're in a, we're wellness professionals in a mastermind, a business group together. And we would get together every 90 days of really cool locations and they would eat, you know, midnight and, and they'd be like, Ro, don't you want to eat? And I was like, I literally cannot eat. I can have a salad or green or green beans, but I can't have a full meal. I'll be awake all night. It's my body doesn't do that. And they, you know, they would always be like, that's amazing that you, you know, you really know yourself like that. And it wasn't worth it for me. Cause I need my sleep. Who doesn't need their sleep? Uh, yeah, seriously. It is so, especially now, I think we're realizing more than ever how important these things are. And absolutely. Yeah. So what yeah. is your hope that, um, like I would, what's your biggest hope that people will get, that parents will get from your book? I think my biggest hope is that they will really have a vision of their child being happy and healthy and successful um, and successful in a lot of ways. And that could be at home, that could be in friendships, maybe it is academics. Um, and I want them to see their kids like this. I want them to see this as a resource to create confidence in their kids so that they can feel good about themselves because you need to feel good about yourself. And um, I want par parents to have their eyes open, that there are really, truly science-backed ways. Um, the research is there, the tools are there, and it's done in a digestible way. The information is there. You're not overloaded by the 40 pages of research citations. And I, I'm glad you mentioned my stories because, again, I've been the privilege of, of walking through this journey with so many families. And, you know, these families allowed me to put their stories in here and they volunteered. So it's amazing to hear what has happened. Um, and, and the most successful families, boy, they have belief. They're like, oh yeah, Roseanne, I look forward to this. I want you to go from, you know, if to when. And I want you to start changing that dialogue because when that worry train happens, which I've been on there, who hasn't with a kid? Forget about if your kid's special needs or not. There's something that has caused a worry. Maybe your kid, I remember my kid had the croup, you know, and that was scary, you know? Um, and, you know, it, you have to believe and see, and you have to be able to take action. And, and you know, you, you, I say constantly in there, little waves create big waves, little waves create big waves. So being consistent, having belief and learning how to take charge of your family's mental health is really the biggest things that I want people to take out of this book. Of course, the tools and the strategies and understanding are here for people. Um, you know, it's people have to spend a lot of money to come into my center or work with me virtually. And it's literally in this book, you know, and you can get this book and you can use these tools. And the moment you get this book, you can start using tools. Yeah. And, and like you said, you've done all the research, you have all of the years of even personal examples of yeah. working. And so all we really need to do is just go, okay, yeah, she, she knows what she's talking about. I'll try this. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. I want people to see possibilities because when you go down this mental health rabbit hole, it's pretty easy to lose hope. 
And most people are seeing many, many doctors before they get to me. Um, and I'm not that unusual. That is sort of the standard. We, we are not giving this information to, to families is essentially criminal, right? I'm at this point where I'm literally saying that. I'm saying that to professionals yeah. Yeah. and they're not happy about it. But this is information that people need to have in their hands um, so that they can restore calm in their family and, and help their kids really, you know, really just change the trajectory of their lives when they do this. I, I get to see people do this every day, you know, um, and it's so important for parents to have belief and hold that vision and, and don't let that little negative thought coming in there. And, you know, these are safe things. These are some of these things are incredibly easy to do. Um, you just got to start. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited. So this book is going to be available everywhere on Amazon. So it's on a book Amazon. on okay. Amazon. Um, by the time this airs, the, the, uh, eventually there will be an audible. I just am too busy to do the audible and, <laughs> um, but it's coming, it's coming. Um, but you can get the book in Kindle or in paperback and it's on Amazon. Perfect. Okay. That's awesome. Well, I'm so excited. I'm so glad that you got to come on and share about your book. And I feel like we were cut so short the first time you came on and I had so many other questions I could ask. And then knowing that this book is out and it has amazing tools. There are, I mean, eight pillars. That's a lot. That's a lot to look through and start having actionable items to yeah. really get in and help your family. Yeah. And, you know, the eight pillars are all things that work complementary and synergistically. You don't have to feel overwhelmed. You can be like me, who's a jumper in, and you can be like somebody who's like, well, I'm going to, you know, put my toe in and I'm going to start with one thing. Wherever you are, that's where you need to be. You just need to start. You can't say, I wish, right? You know, the saying like, can't win, you know, lotto can't win. If you don't play, you know, you've got to get started and it's so important. And if your kid's on medication, you can do these things too. This isn't an if, or this is just, I want you to understand all those science backed ways. Um, because this is how I help people who are uh, totally stuck, totally stuck. So I always say if it works with the most challenging kids, the most challenging cases is going to work with a little light level of anxiety, or I call, you know, I get a straight ADD kid. I'm like, ah, he's just got ADD, but I get it. It's pain. It's hard, you know, but you know, we have to really start celebrating our kids' strengths. Um, and this really helps to bring out kids' strengths, but regulating the nervous system is, you know, I talk about it in 17 different ways in this book, but it is the basis of change. Yeah, that's good. And, and, I, and for parents, I think this will be helpful too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we I like, do, do this it. for themselves. Everybody should do this for themselves. So, you know, I'm asking every parent to tell five friends. So in this podcast, tell five friends about this podcast. Um, and you can do it in a really nice way. You can say, I was listening to this great podcast about kids' mental health. And I know your kid, George. Um, has a hard time getting along with other kids. And you know what? There were so many cool things in here. I would love for you to hear this because I gained this, this, and this out of it. And you just approach people with love and share the information because, you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And it's still every time, like recently had somebody say, oh, neurofeedback's new. 50 years old, buddy, is what I said to him. 
So, you know, we just want you to know about these techniques. Some of them are newer, but most of these things have decades worth of support to show how they help. And, and that's what that research is about. It's really specific to mental health. Um, so that I want people to be able to see that there are different ways and see them working for their kids and believe that they can work because they do. And that it's going to be okay, right? It's going to be okay, (laughs) which is, you know, I'm going to say it's the first thing I tell every family that I work with, because, you know, when you're struggling, that's what you need to hear, you know? And I, when I tell them, mom, it's going to be okay. Literally their whole body changes, Mm -hmm. you know, because you need to hear that, you know, and uh, you know, that that's why there's eight pillars. There's a lot you can do and you don't have to be overwhelmed by that. You can say, again, I'm going to pick this one thing. You should be excited about possibilities yeah. um, in a time when people feel overwhelmed, you, and, but you also feel out of hope. And I want to bring hope to people. And that's what these are. That's why I call them the eight pillars of hope and healing. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely will be uh, hopeful for people. So I'm excited. So people can follow you on your amazing Instagram. I always love your stories or your, your reels are really great and fun. And that is at Dr. Roseanne, correct? Yes. Yep. One word, no E at the end. Yeah. No E at the end. And then your website is drrosanne.com. D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com. And then there's a website for the book as well, correct? It's gonna be okay. And for anybody who buys the book, there are free gifts that you get with the book, including how to help your child's mental health right now, which is a video of me talking about how to do that. And then um, there's different resources that you get downloadables that you can start using immediately and help your kid and family. Great. Well, thank you so much. It was so much fun having you on here and you're real and it's a, that's important too. And I, I yeah. just appreciate your candidness with these. Topics. Well, thank so. you so much for bringing me back and yeah. having this conversation, you know, as parents, we need to help each other and lift each other up. And, and that's why these conversations are so important. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.